Well, I uh, recently passed a milestone. Some of you, uh, well, you're probably thinking my birthday. No, it's not my birthday, even though I had that in in January as well. And by the way, thanks for uh, all of the comments that you uh, submitted um, via the friendship book. Um, That was great just to read all those along with prayer requests and uh, well wishes for my birthday. Um, It actually worked so well that uh, this week is Pastor Adam's birthday. Um, I'm kidding, just signed the friendship book already. Um, But uh, on January 15th, and I didn't, you know, this wasn't a milestone that I noted until I was preparing for this message and I was thinking about ministry and life and uh, over, over the years, and January 15th marked actually 30 years of uh, pastoral ministry for me, full-time pastoral ministry. And I have to say, thanks. You're kind of wondering probably, how did he, didn't he just turn 40? Um, well, I was kind of like the Doogie Howser of pastoral ministry, I guess, but uh, <clears throat> everybody under 40 now is Googling Doogie Howser because they have no clue what that's all about, and I just aged myself. But anyways, when I think back over those 30 years, this is what I want to bring out is that no doubt for me, the highlight was no doubt and continues to be the relationships that I have had the privilege of having throughout those 30 years. Um, When I think about that, lifelong friends that we've met, I've served only in three churches, and uh, um, all the way along I can think of significant relationships and people that we still have contact with um, over the years. In fact, if it wasn't maybe for ministry, I may have never even have met my wife, Tina. We were both at a conference where, where we met, and I wouldn't have been there if I hadn't been in pastoral ministry. And so God has been so good <clears throat> and gracious, and I would say that to this day, my great joy is still to walk with Jesus in the company of others. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because when we do... Um, there is a depth of community that we experience, a depth of relationship that happens that we can't uh, sort of recreate or find maybe anywhere else. There's, a, there's a, these, these deep soul friendships that are made that, that really are irreplaceable in, in our lives. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have experienced meeting a complete stranger and immediately having this connection. And you can't even really put your finger on it, but it is simply because you both belong. You both belong to Jesus, and you both know it. I don't know if I should go here, but I was thinking recently of some of the most overused words and phrases of the last two years. Many of them that you probably never want to hear again. In fact, as we were singing, I was thinking of the word moistly, because it was just awful under that mask. But fill in the blank, we live in oh, yeah. we live in unprecedented times, right? We live in uncertain times. We, we have this new normal. But we've probably also have all heard, we're all in this together. Repeatedly, often, ad nauseum. We're probably tired of it. But it's true. It's not just true of COVID, it's true that when we are believers, when we're followers of Jesus, when we are in Christ, we do belong to one another and we are all in Christ. We are all in this together. 
Because the church are those that are called out, they're called together. The church is God's family, and so we are all in this together. Well, we've been journeying through the book of Colossians. We started, uh, I think, early October. We took a break for... Oh, thanks, Adam. Um, Man, that's going to be a great illustration in just a few minutes, I think. Um, But... uh, we, we, we started this series in early October. We took a break over Christmas. We returned in January, and we're going to finish it today. And we've captured our thoughts under this, just this word with, and just being reminded that God is with us. And if there's something that Colossians repeatedly brings back is God is with us because Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are also with one another. And nowhere is this clearer than in these concluding verses of Colossians. And so if you have your Bible open, I I hope that you stick a finger uh, in the pages there and we can refer to this. But most translations have a title or a heading for this closing section of, of the letter. And most of them will just say something like final greetings or final greetings and instructions. And I think we'd be tempted to read something like that and then begin to think that maybe it's not that relevant or what practical purposes does it have in our lives? Is it even that important? We might even assume that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 6 is kind of the end. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And Pastor Adam did a great job of that passage last week. But as I studied these verses, I was surprised at just how much was actually here. That these verses, in fact, provide insight into Paul's heart. And they do reinforce the truth over and over again, I believe, that community matters. That relationships matter. And in these last 12 verses, Paul writes about the people who were very important in his life. And my hope and prayer is that as we go through this text this morning is that it'll cause you and me to think about those people who are important in our life today. Who are the people that are in your community, in your circle of friendships and relationships that have made a difference in your life? And why are those relationships so important? So four things that I want to just say about community today. First of all, community is developed through what we may say is partnership, through partnership. Two people coming together and in the context of ministry forming this partnership. And sometimes it's multiple people coming together. And in verse 7, we're introduced to a man named Tychicus. He's described in three ways by Paul. Here he says, first of all, that he's a dear brother. And right away when when he's referring to him in this way, you know that he was loved by Paul. When he talked about him, if you asked him about his friend Tychicus, probably would put a smile on his face. You can just tell from the words that he used to describe him that there was a warmth in their relationship. He was a dear brother. Secondly, he was a faithful minister. He was a servant. And he was a faithful one at that. If you had a job to do, Tychicus would get it done for you. You could count on him. He was always faithful. And thirdly, he was a fellow servant or a slave. Not in the, in the maybe true sense of that word, but he was a bond servant to Jesus, a fellow captive to Jesus. 
And so they were partners in ministry. At the end of verse 7, there's a little phrase there that just says, in the Lord. And this little phrase actually qualifies all of the other qualities that Paul used to describe his friend Tychicus. He's a dear brother because he's in the Lord. He's a faithful minister in the Lord. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. And since both Paul and Tychicus were in the Lord, they were both committed to the body of Christ. They were both committed to the church. They were both in Christ. So this wasn't some kind of business partnership or a relational partnership. It was a ministry partnership. Because look at what Paul asked Tychicus to do. It's very simple. He basically says, listen, take this letter and go to Colossae and bring this letter to them and share a report about us. And verse 8, he says, I am sending him to you. Why? Because verse 7, he will tell you all the news about me. Verse 8, that you may, um, sorry, that you may know about our circumstances, so that you may be informed about our situation. Verse 9, they will tell you everything that is happening here. And the people in Colossae, they maybe had questions about Paul. How is he? What did, you know, what's he doing? What, what does he need? Can we help in any way? And Tychicus was asked by Paul, because of this partnership, to go back to the church in Colossae and tell them and report to them about how he was doing. And this report had an important purpose. At the end of verse 8, he says, that he may encourage your hearts. I love that, that he may encourage your hearts. Friends, let's just pause there for a second and think about that. Do we realize the power of an encouraging word? See, I believe that as this letter was being written, as these words were being said about uh, Tychicus, that it actually made Tychicus feel pretty good. But do we realize that words matter too? Do we realize that just a short note, maybe a quick text... A check-in phone call. Just something to say, listen, I was thinking about you. And so I'm going to reach out to you today. It, it doesn't even necessarily be a word. It could be an action. It could be something as simple as a smile. Or maybe a simple thank you. When you think about going through the cashier at Sobeys or Safeway or wherever you do your grocery shopping, can you just think about that person? Most of them have a name tag. Call them by name. Thank them for the work that they're doing. And just think about how encouraging that would be. People who are in customer service. I don't know if anybody here works in customer service. I think it's got to be one of the worst jobs ever. Right? Because normally people don't just stop up and say, hey, I want to tell you, you guys are doing a great job. No. It's always because you're doing a lousy job. Or you didn't have this in aisle so-and-so. Or like the complaints and the negativity uh, just kind of gets heaped on them. But if you take a moment to just say thank you, just a word of appreciation could actually change a person's day. Think about how far a little word of encouragement can go. We can't think about encouragement without thinking about the opposite of encouragement though too. Right? Discouragement, obviously. <laughs> but how? How do we discourage? Well, just extreme criticism fault-finding. You know, there's something that's helpful about constructive feedback, but we know that we can easily cross a line in some situations. And there's nothing that is quite as deflating sometimes just as negativity and extreme fault-finding. Well, 
But getting back to Tychicus, he appears in other places in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, he shows up on one of Paul's missionaries' journeys. Paul had also sent him to Ephesus. We read about that in 2 Timothy 4 verse 12. And I just want us to note a little bit, uh, not just thinking about how can we be an encouraging uh, person to other people, but what do people ultimately say about you? Or what do people say about me? If you stop and think about it, would they use words like, he's a dear brother, he's, she's a dear sister? That's a faithful person, a committed person, a fellow servant we, we serve together. What do people say about us? And I think our encouragement today is simply to look at this man named Tychicus and say, you know what, I want to be more like him. Faithful, serving, finding my place where I can partner in ministry with others. And so not only what do people think about you, but who are some of the Tychicuses in your life? Who are some of the people that bring encouragement to you? I'm sure if you stop and think about it, there's probably a a fairly lengthy list. For me, without a doubt, the people that bring encouragement to my life is my family and our ministry team, our staff team. When I think of Adam, I need this now. Looking at needs, Quinn, Marnie, Anne, Jenna. You know, these last couple of years have been challenging at times. And I often felt like they as a staff team, as a ministry team, would come along and much like uh, Aaron and her held up Moses' hands and when they held up his hands um, <clears throat> that, uh, that the Israelites were winning the battle and when his hands dropped to his sides they were losing to the Amalek. I'm not even going to say it, sorry. my. But... Uh, They would hold my hands up and support me, strengthen me, cheer me on. And it meant the world. And people that are a little quieter behind the scenes, like Jenny, and and some of you know Tina works very part-time at the church, but there's no greater joy than doing ministry in in your marriage, too. Our daughter Anna's involved, Noreen, each doing their part. Some of you know Sean Montgomery. Sean does far more than set up and clean up and fix things here around the church. So many times he walks into my office. uh, He comes, probably shows up at 5 o'clock. He'll come in. We'll sit down. We'll chat for a while. And then he says, can I pray for you? People holding up your hands. You see, when you have relationships, when you have partners in ministry, When you partner together with other believers, community is developed. It's strengthened. And it happens when we share in this ministry together, and it always brings great joy. And I know that there are so many more that I could could list, and I probably even there have left somebody out. But the question that I want to just say to you is, who are some of the people that you partner with in ministry? And how can we be more like Tychicus? Because community is developed through partnership. Secondly, community is fostered through presence, through presence. You see, since we belong together, we then need to be together. We, we, we need to be present to one another. 
We can't live the Christian life in isolation. In fact, we are not independent people. We, we, we have this message in our culture that says, you know, you be you. But we need each other. And Paul highlights here a few people who have impacted his life. Some who were physically present with him. Others who were present and available to the people that he cared about. If you look at verse 10, he says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. And these are just, they may just appear as names, but if you do a little bit of research and just, uh, you know, um, use your word search uh, feature on a Bible, you'll come up with a long history that Aristarchus has with Paul. And now here in Colossians, he's a fellow prisoner with Paul in a jail in Rome. And he was deeply committed to Jesus and to Paul. In, in, in Philemon, in verse 24, Paul refers to him along with Mark and Demas and Luke, and we'll come to them in a second. He calls them my fellow workers. And he too appears in, in other situations throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 29, he's a central figure in a riot that takes place in Ephesus. In Acts 20 and verse 4, it's clear that he's involved in Paul's ministry. And in Acts 27 verse 2, he boards the ship that Paul is on. And Paul simply says, Aristarchus was with us. He was available and he was present. And because he was present with Paul in his ministry, there was this obvious deep bond that had developed between them. He was actively engaged in ministry with Paul. And for Paul to single him out here in these closing verses would no doubt have been a huge encouragement to him. Because his loyalty to Paul actually cost him a lot. But it demonstrated his commitment to Paul and his ministry. This was a guy that you wanted on your team. Well, Paul also mentions Mark. A little bit more about him in a moment. And then a third person Jesus, called Justice. We don't really know anything about him, except that Paul makes note of the fact that he was there. He too was present. And he, like Paul, was Jewish, and so Paul wasn't alone in coming to faith in Christ, and he's obviously very dedicated to Paul. And Paul says about these three men, verse 11, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And listen to this, and they have proved a comfort to me. Right? They, were, they, they brought comfort to him because they were with him. And this comfort, there is comfort, right? When, when there's committed and loyal and dedicated people around you. And this was true of this man called Jesus Justice. Now Paul goes on, he mentions a few others. Luke in verse 14, he says, Luke the doctor whom he calls in this context here a dear friend. And it's very likely that Paul, he was Paul's personal physician. No doubt had become a close friend over the years. God used his personality and his giftedness to write both the gospel of Luke and Acts. He was like the early church historian. Paid attention to detail. And he says that he also sends his greetings, Paul does, to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea. You see, Paul had not even met these believers, but he shares here in these verses this, this love and passion for them. He cares enough about them to say, listen, we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. And so Paul 
is present there in spirit, but they're present with each other being an encouragement to one another. And then he singles out a lady named Nympha. She hosted a group of believers in her home. She made herself and her home available to other Christians through the practice of hospitality. She she welcomed them in. And then there's one more in verse 17. Archippus. He says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And in Philemon verse 2, Paul refers to Archippus as a fellow soldier. And he's calling Archippus to faithfulness here. Complete the task. And faithfulness, in fact, is a theme that we've seen throughout Colossians. He wrote in in chapter 1 and verse 2, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. And then in chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 7, we're introduced to Epaphras for the first time. And he says he's our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. We've already seen how he described uh, Tychicus in in verse 7 as a faithful minister. And then he also mentions another man named Onesimus as our faithful and dear brother. And I'll come back to him as well in a second. Faithful simply meant that they were committed to Jesus and they were faithful to complete the ministry. They were faithful in a sense that whenever they were given a task, they could be counted on to complete it. To those who have received a ministry from the Lord, Paul says, they're called. They're called not to success ultimately, but to faithfulness. They're called to be a steady presence in the life of others. And so I pause just long enough to ask this question. Who are the people that are present in your life? Who are the people that are with you? Who are the faithful friends that are around you that you can count on? People who will be there to support you. I have a a mentor friend of mine named Sam. We get together once a month. And we just journey through life together. We talk about ministry. We talk about all sorts of things. And when I have my lowest days, you can bet that it's reaching out to Sam. And the fact is, we all need a Sam in our lives. We need one another. And the greatest gift that you can give another believer is your presence. In hard times and in good times, your faithful presence means more than you will ever know. But we do know. We know how encouraging it is to have people present in our lives, speaking into our lives, holding us accountable, like Paul, encouraging us to complete the ministry given to us, encouraging us to be faithful. And when we sometimes maybe feel like quitting or throwing in the towel or whatever, we have somebody say, no, 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 no. Listen, you've been given a task. Complete the ministry that's been given to you. Remain faithful. So community is developed first through partnership. It's fostered through presence. And thirdly, it's deepened through prayer. Deepened through prayer. You see, when we pray with and for others, and you probably have all had this experience, We pray for their needs, and we join them in praying for their friends and their friends' needs. The relationship is deepened. And in verses 12 and 13, Paul writes about Epaphras. Now, we were first introduced to Epaphras in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. We connected the dots then. And and Epaphras had met Paul in Ephesus. And it was there in Ephesus that that he... that that, um, 
Epaphras heard the gospel. And because he heard the gospel, he then gave his life to Jesus. He came to Jesus. And he went back ultimately then to Colossae and he told people about Jesus. He then shared the gospel with them. He was the missionary that went and reached these people in his hometown. He planted a church because they put their faith in Jesus. And then when these false teachers had come into the church and they started to question, like, is Jesus really enough? Is he really complete? Do you have fullness in him? When these teachers started to undermine the faith of these new believers and Epaphras wasn't quite sure what to do, what does he do? He takes off and he goes to visit Paul in Rome. And he goes to ask for help. Paul, what should I do? And Paul's answer was this letter to the Colossian church. And he said, here, let me write a letter. And you can take it to them. I'll send it with Tychicus. Look at what Paul writes about Epaphras, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, okay, he's one of the Colossians, and he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends greetings. He says hello. But look at this. He says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. You see, if Epaphras was ever looking for a job, Paul would have been one of his references. And he refers here to Epaphras as a servant of Christ Jesus. There's no better description than who he was and what he did. He served Jesus. And he did that service through prayer. He says, always wrestling in prayer for you. That is a great word and just an image that comes. And the Greek word that's used here to translate into wrestling, it's actually the Greek, it's, it leads to our English word agony. And, and so you could literally say that Paul was saying that Epaphras was agonizing in prayer for these Colossian believers. I mean, honestly, can there be anything better said about a person? that he would agonize in prayer for his friends. You see, the bond of friendship is deepened, it's strengthened when we pray with and for one another. And we should also note what he prayed for. He prayed, not surprisingly, that they would stand firm in all the will of God. Why would they need to stand firm? Because there were those people that were trying to knock him off track. And he says, no, you need to stand firm. And I'm going to pray that you would be mature and that you would be fully assured that there be no doubt in your mind that you have received Christ and you've received all of the fullness of him, that you are complete in Christ. Don't ever let anyone take that away. And I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God makes that clear to you. In verse 13, Paul says that he basically vouches for Epaphras and that he is working hard. Friends, have you ever wondered who is praying for you? Who's praying for you? Who are the people that when you have a deep need, a significant need, who would be those people that you would first reach out to? And then secondly, who are the people that you regularly pray with? Who are the people that you regularly pray with? You see, when we get together and we pray with people, 
the relationship is uniquely strengthened. I think about our Tuesday morning men's prayer group. I'm there probably, I don't know, 80% of the time, maybe a little bit more. Um, But I've shared things with, with, with those men that most other people don't know. And they've been praying for me on some very difficult and personal things. Our small group. That, that Tina and I are part of. It's not just our personal needs, but when we even have others that we know we need prayer, our, our, our phones start to blow up a little bit, and, and you know a prayer request is shared, and everybody's responding back, saying, hey, we're praying with you, we're standing with you. Friends, these relationships are strengthened when we pray together. They're deepened. Friends, I want that for you. I want you to know that you've got two or three people that are wrestling with you in prayer, that are agonizing with you in prayer. You see, you won't have that with everyone, but I pray that you would have it with someone. I pray that you would have an Epaphras in your life, someone who is agonizing in prayer for you. Because community is deepened through prayer. And lastly, community is tested through personal failures. Community is tested through personal failure. You see, inevitably, when we get close to others, because we're human and because we're imperfect, we're going to hurt others and we're going to be hurt. It's a risk you take in relationships. But I absolutely believe it's a risk worth taking. And there are three people who Paul mentions that I think illustrate this. The first is really Onesimus, who obviously had become a partner in ministry with him, but it wasn't so cut and dry. You see, we learn more about him when we turn over a few pages to to the book of Philemon. And there Paul is pleading with Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave of of Philemon who had run away. He took off, and he was being sent back by Paul to Philemon. And so Paul writes this. Listen to this in verses 10 and 11. He says, I appeal to you, okay, he's appealing to Philemon for, listen to how he describes him, for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you because he took off, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Think about that transformation. We don't like those words. They seem kind of rude, but I think it's instructive. He was once useless, but now he's useful. And interestingly enough, if your Bible might even have a footnote next to the word anesimus, That name means useful. He lived into his name. But what had happened? How did he go from being useless to useful? Paul says, well, he became my son. What do you you mean he became my son? Well, what happened is, is that Paul, like everyone else, he shared the gospel with um, Onesimus. He shared Jesus Onesimus became a follower of Jesus and it changed his life. That's what happens when we come to Christ. 
And so Paul doesn't refer to him even as a slave anymore. No, because in verse 9 he says he is our faithful and dear brother. And Paul is pleading with Philemon to forgive him and to receive him back. Receive him back not as a slave, he says, but as an equal brother in Christ. And Paul makes it clear that without reconciliation, there can in fact be no relationship. Paul also mentions Mark in these final verses. Mark was another guy who failed, messed up big time. You can read about him in Acts 12 and verse 25 and following and into chapter 13. And Mark had a, had a good beginning. And he was on minute mission with Paul and Barnabas. But when the going got tough, he quit and ran away. He left them, returned to Jerusalem. And Paul was ticked. He felt deserted, abandoned. And just a a few chapters later, you get to Acts chapter 15 and verse 37, and Barnabas, who we in this verse learn that it was um, uh, John Mark's cousin, he wants to give him another chance. He wants to give him a second chance. But Paul's like, no way. He bailed on us. I I don't want him on my team. He was the opposite of faithful at that time. And the the Bible is so honest in this case. It says that Barnabas and Paul had such a sharp disagreement over this issue that Paul and Barnabas actually end up going their separate ways. And Barnabas takes Mark and they head for Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas and they go and do their thing. And now in Colossians 4, Mark is back on the scene. And we learned, as I said, that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. And Paul puts this little statement in parentheses. Look at there. He says, you have received, verse 10, you have received instructions about him. It's like he sent him a separate note. Listen, this is what he does. And if he comes to you, welcome him. You see, it's clear that Paul had forgiven him, and he now welcomed him back into his life and ministry. Because Paul then writing later to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Another failure restored. Mark goes on and writes the gospel of Mark. And then one more person that was with Paul simply named Demas. He said, Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Now, unfortunately and sadly, Demas proved to be a great disappointment to Paul. And in writing to Timothy, he says this about Demas, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 10. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas had des- abandoned Paul. Friends, there's nothing quite like the pain of broken relationships, isn't there? And the heart of God is that there would always be reconciliation and restoration, but that isn't always possible. And the only way to avoid the pain of broken relationships is sometimes then to avoid relationships altogether. And sometimes people do that. They've been so hurt. And they don't, want to be put them, they don't want to put themselves into that position again. And, they, and so they don't pursue community. 
But friends, that would be a huge mistake. Why? Because community matters. Community matters. And so I ask you this morning again, who are some of the people maybe that you need to forgive? When you think back over your, maybe it's been your, even your church experience, there have been people that have hurt you. They, you felt like they abandoned you, they de- deserted you, maybe they betrayed you. You feel the, the depth of that pain. <clears throat> and I think a passage like this just maybe, it, it surfaces that for us again, and we have to say, listen, no, I need to forgive. I need to forgive. And so, yes, friends, community matters. Community matters because community is developed through partnership. Community is fostered through presence. It's deepened through prayer. It's tested through personal failure. Larry Crabb writes this, community matters. He says that's about like saying oxygen matters. As our lungs require air, so our souls require what only community provides. We are designed by our Trinitarian God, who is himself a group of three persons in profound relationship with each other, to live in relationship. Listen to this. Without it, we die. It's that simple. Without a community where we know, explore, discover, and touch one another, we experience isolation and despair that drive us in wrong directions that corrupt our efforts to live meaningfully and to love well. Friends, community matters. And I hope that as we've gone through this study in Colossians, not only will we be reminded that God is always with us, that we are invited into relationship with one another. And one of the things that we like to say Jesus, or about our mission statement is, at, at TCC is that we know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and we share Jesus. But we know Jesus and walk with Jesus in the company of others. We don't do that on our own. Friends, there's a lot of different ways at TCC that you can get connected with people. And sometimes it is through a partnership in ministry where you're serving. You get to know other people on a worship team or, Lord willing, you know, you get to know other people that you work with in the kitchen. And sometimes some of the most unique relationships are developed. Community is built because suddenly you're standing shoulder to shoulder and you're, you're partnering together in ministry. But sometimes community happens just when we're together, when we're present to and for one another. And it's deepened when we gather together to pray. And yeah, sometimes it's tested when there's personal failure. But that's why I think Paul ends where he began. In the opening verses, he said, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And he ends with, grace be with you. What a beautiful reminder to us that even when we might make our own mistakes, when we might be on that failing end where we've let somebody down, where we might know and experience God's grace, His unmerited favor, His deep love for us. Friends, know this. No matter what you are going through right now, God is with you. That's the message of Colossians. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the study that we've had. 
being reminded of who Jesus is, being reminded of who we are in Christ, being known that we are strengthened, rooted, established in faith. God, that you are doing a work in each of us. It's not finished yet, but we know that you're faithful and you'll complete it. Even as you ask us to be faithful to the task that you've given us. Maybe that task is inviting somebody into our home. Maybe that task is ushering. Maybe that that task is serving in children's ministry. Father, may we be people who faithfully represent you. Knowing that wherever we go, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, that you, through the power of your Spirit, are with us. And you are always there. And Father, may you establish amongst us deep, authentic community where we know and are known, where we love and are loved, where we know that we have people that we can call on to pray for us, to serve with us, to hang out together, and to know ultimately that even when we make mistakes, that we would hold one another accountable and forgive one another restore one another, and ultimately cheer one another on. So Lord, thank you. Continue to do a work in our lives through the power of your Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.